Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's Word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn His truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. Let me read uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13 through 17. If you turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts always being ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the things in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better if if, if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. Just a reminder, Peter is writing to the churches in Asia Minor, dealing with the persecution they're already facing and the increased persecution that is on its way. So, you know, we really, to be honest, have really not felt much persecution in our lives. Somebody may have laughed at us a little bit or ridiculed us because of our faith, but uh, any persecution anyone in this room has ever uh, truly face is probably pretty minor compared to what uh, has been recorded in the in the New Testament. Uh, but w- even when Christians face persecution of any kind, it's intimidating. Even if it's ridicule, even if it's uh, you know sarcasm or anything like that. And uh, the problem we have is that that old human nature wants to take control, like we talked about last week, and we want to return evil with evil or insult with insult. That's just our human nature. But if you go back through the verses we dealt with last week, verses 8 through 12, uh, you find out that's not God's way. As a matter of fact, let me just read uh, verses 8 through about 9. To sum it up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for evil, but giving a blessing instead, for you were called for this very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Then he goes on and talks a little bit more about, you know, controlling the tongue and how we approach, you know, dealing with others. But we look and we see that God's given us the characteristics he wants us to live by. We see those in those verses. And, but there's also another factor of being, intimidate, of being intimidated. Uh, just the thought that we might be persecuted can create fear. Have you ever worried about something that has not happened, may not happen? Anybody ever been guilty of that? Oh yeah, we all have. So in today's age, in our nation today, we're hearing about and seeing more and more animosity towards Christianity. So in our hearts and our minds, we can start to become fearful about what does the future hold for us. Living in, in Macon, Mississippi, we're probably in one of the almost the safest areas of the entire world to be as a Christian. Would y'all, would y'all agree with that? 
Can you think of any other place that's probably safer than right here to be a Christian? I, I really can't. I mean, you know, we're in the belt buckle of the Bible belt. You know, we, we tend to believe in Christ and we don't tend to get much, if any, feedback or persecution for our beliefs. And so we look and uh, the problem is as persecution begins to grow and build, our fears and our uh, worries will escalate. So Peter is showing that there is a right way to respond to the thoughts as well as to the actual threats of persecution. Uh, let's pick up verse 13. It says, who is there to harm you? Now, when you ask that question, you've got to look and realize that there's kind of a qualifier tacked onto that. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? What he's saying there is that this means that we need to stand up for what we know is godly. Stand up for what we know is right, to live a godly lifestyle, to, to prove zealous for what is good. What is good? Well, how do we define what is good? Do we look to the news and find out what they think is good? I hope not. You'll be rioting in the streets and doing all sorts of different things. You look to the Word of God, and we find out that God has set His standard as to what is good. And actually, to do what is good is to do what is godly. That's the best way to, to define what is good, is to do that which is godly. So we must actively pursue what is right in God's eyes. Not what is right in man's eyes, but what is right in God's eyes. So you know, we can't just say, well, I believe uh, that this is right. We need to show it in our lives as to that not only do we believe it, but we live out what is right. And this, again, goes back to that surrendered lifestyle unto the Lord, allowing Him to work in us and through us to do His good and acceptable and perfect will. But our lives, according to the Word of God, not, to, not according to me, but according to the Word of God, is we must live as an example, as a witness to the world around us, that we not only believe in God, not only do we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, not only do we believe that He died for our sins and rose to give us eternal life, but we believe that He is our Lord and we're living according to His will in our lives. So if we believe these things and if we live them out, then the question is, who is there to harm you? Well, that's a good question. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, if you want to jot that reference down, feel free to. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28 says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Who, do, who are we to fear? Well, first of all, we're not to fear God if we belong to God. If we belong to God, then we're His children, and we already know that we're not going to hell, we're going to heaven. So is that we fear the one who could send us, uh, us to hell, and that is Satan. That means that we would abandon God and not believe in God, and not live for Him. And I, I shared Sunday morning uh, you know, that you know when I was talking about the three different ways that the people saw the empty tomb, you know, at first... Mary Magdalene only saw, but without understanding. She already believed in Jesus, but she did not believe that he truly had resurrected from the grave. 
And so there are different levels of belief. There are many people who say, if I just believe that Jesus is the Son of God, then I'm, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. But I can live any way I want to. I don't have to change my lifestyle. I don't have to do anything else. I just have to have this mental belief that Jesus is the Son of God, and then I'm gone to heaven. I don't think that's biblical. And so what he's saying here is that if we truly believe, then we don't have to worry about being harmed. I'm not talking about physically harmed. I'm talking about spiritually, eternally harmed. And that's really what Peter's talking about here. If that were not true, if he was saying, who is there who can harm you physically? Did you know anybody can harm you physically? I could come over and stomp your toe and it would hurt, wouldn't it? I could do that. I don't want to do that, but I could do that. And there are evil people in the world that would just love to do that just for kicks. Uh, you see, you know, senior adults in New York City just getting mugged and beaten almost to death just because they're e- easy prey. There is evil in this world. So there is, are evil people who can and will harm us. And they could even kill us if that's their heart's desire to do so. So when we look at this, Peter's not talking about physical harm. He's talking about spiritual, eternal harm. Who can harm us? We're in God's hands. Jesus said that we are in God's hands and no one can snatch us or take us out of God's hands. That means we are secure in our our eternity. Now look at verses 14 through 16. What we're going to find are five different ways that we can respond to the threats as well as the actuality of persecution as we serve the Lord. So let's pick up verse 14. The very first part says, But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. So the first response to any type of persecution is to consider yourself blessed. Now, I've described what happened to Christians under Nero. It's not a pleasant thing. And he, he sewed them up into you know, sacks, threw them out into the sea so that they could not swim, they would drown. He would throw them out into the uh, arena and release the wild beasts and let them just be devoured in front of the congregate, in, in front of the audience. Did the same thing with gladiators. I've already told you his favorite thing to do was to dip them in pitch while they're still alive, impale them on a stick, and light them for his garden lights, for his garden parties. Now, that means that they suffered for the sake of righteousness. That means that there were Christians who refused to say, to recant Christ. They, they refused to give up their faith in Christ. And because of their faith in Christ, they were physically persecuted and even martyred, killed. So what Peter is saying here is even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Now, kind of hard to think about being blessed when you go through that kind of torture and that kind of uh, persecution. But let's look at a few different passages of Scripture. Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 says... Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. That's the last of the Beatitudes, by the way. 
So Jesus is saying these words. He is giving the Beatitudes, the blessed are they. He is saying, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Who's going to bless us? God. He will bless our faithfulness. Then Acts chapter 5, verses 14 through 17, some of the apostles had been arrested for preaching the gospel, and one of the men on the high court basically said, if, if these men are, uh, are really a danger, you know, let's flog them and send them away. If they're not a danger, then this is all going to fall apart sooner or later. So they took his advice, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they released them. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Now, these are early first century Christians. Philippians chapter 1, verse 29 says, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Now, sharing in the suffering of Christ is throughout the New Testament. It is not just here or there. There are multiple passages that talk about us suffering for the sake of Christ. So we should not worry that we might suffer. We should consider ourselves blessed if we reach to the point where people consider us enough of a threat to them because of our faith in Christ that they want to persecute us. So God always blesses those who openly glorify His name and live for them. The second response that we can do in face of persecution is to do not fear or be troubled. Here again, many Christians spend untold number of hours fretting and worrying over things that may or may not ever happen. Uh, Even if these things were to happen, did you know that you probably don't have any, any control over them? So I've always tried to counsel people who are fretful, who worry. I say, first of all, are you absolutely sure it's going to happen? Or are you just worried that it might happen? Until it happens, you really don't have anything to worry about. When it does happen, then do what God leads you to do to deal with it and put it in God's hands and don't worry about it. So either way, you don't need to worry about it. So, But unfortunately, we tend to be these creatures of fretfulness and worrisome. Uh, one thing we need to understand is that we belong to God. We are His children. And if we are His children, who is ultimately over us in control? God is. And we, we know it, but we don't act like it. We know it, but we still fret and we still worry. We still wonder, I know I belong to God, but is he really going to take care of me? Is he really going to help me if I really get into a a bad situation? Well, yeah. According to the Word of God, when we face these times of trials, he will give us either words to say or give us the wisdom and guidance to know what to do. And even if it means dying a martyr's death, He will give us the strength to face that. I don't want to face that. Do you? But if it comes down to that, God will be the strength in order for us to do so. There have been many who have died 
not in the New Testament times, but many, uh, a thousand years later, 1,600 years later, there were those who went against the Catholic Church and wanted the Bible to be printed in the layman's terms. And the first man who did that was burned at the stake because he was blasphemy against the Catholic Church and he was doing that was wrong in God's eyes according to them. Folks, we there's still a lot of martyrdom. There's still a lot of persecution against people doing what is right in God's eyes. Then the third thing is uh, the way that we respond to persecution is to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord. This is really the, the whole the most important part of, of our response. Acknowledging that Jesus Christ is our Lord. There again, we got to get our our eyes off of self, got to quit worrying about who we are, what people think about us, how the world thinks about us, how the people in our community think about us. We need to worry about what God thinks about us. And we the best way we can do that is to let Jesus be the center focus of our lives each and every day. We need to quit worrying about fame and fortune or the respect of others. We need to just simply focus on Him as being Lord of our lives. So we need to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord. And then it goes on and says that we need to sanctify Him through our hearts. Now, to sanctify something means to make it holy, to set apart and to make it holy. The thing is, Jesus is already holy, isn't He? But the question is, is He holy to you? What Peter is saying is that you must make Him holy in your heart. In other words, we need to always have Christ elevated. He must always be holy. He must always be perfect. He must always be our Lord. And so to, to call Him holy, to make Him holy in our hearts means that we live surrendered to Him, worshiping Him, seeing Him as true Lord of our lives. And so the Scriptures say that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue will, will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the way we need to live each and every day, that He truly is Lord of our lives. So we need to rid ourselves of any other things that we would consider our consider being Lord to our lives, you know, our self-centeredness and all those things, and surrender those to the Lordship of Christ. Then the next way to uh, respond to persecution is to be ready to give an answer or a defense. Now, the word for defense in this or answer in this is the word apologia. Apologia is a Greek word. It's the same word that we get our word apology from. And we use a word in Christianity that doesn't sound like it should mean what it means. Apologetics. Have y'all ever heard the term apologetics? Apologetics in the Christian term does not mean I'm sorry for what I believe. I'm not sorry. I'm not apologizing for what I believe. The word actually means to give a defense for. Now, there are some brilliant Christian men who are much more gifted having studied the Bible and formulated a defense that they can give to others, and they can do it like a lawyer can. They can give, you know, verse after verse after verse as verse as diverse, you know, of evidence of their faith. Nothing wrong with that. 
But one thing that this scripture says is to give a defense to everyone who asks of you and to give an account of your hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Uh, I've already told you all before, badgering somebody with the Bible, saying, you are wrong, you're going to hell because of the way you live and the way you act and the way you think, does that get them over to Christ? There may be a few that have been scared into believing that they need to get their life straightened out and have given their life to Christ. I would say that's probably the worst method of leading somebody to Christ that there is. The scripture here says to give your defense with gentleness, without condemning, without being judgmental, looking at the person where they are without Christ and realizing that without Christ, they have no hope. They have no understanding of what it would be like with Christ. So the best way that we can give a defense is to show them why we have this hope, what our hope is based on. And our hope is based on what Jesus did on the cross for us, that he took upon himself my guilt of my sins, the guilt of your sins, the sins of the world, and he died in our place. And then to prove that he had the power to overcome the penalty of sin, he rose from the grave, and that proves that he has overcome sin, and he also has given us his gift of eternal life. That is our hope. That's a simple defense of our hope. It's a simple gospel presentation. We're not to be confronting. We're not to be convicting. We're not to be judgmental, but with gentleness. We are to share this hope that we have. And with reverence. Reverence means to keep our focus on what Jesus did and not what we have done. See, I, I could not do anything to save myself. I need to always remember that when I share my testimony with others. I did not choose to follow Christ. God, through the Holy Spirit, drew me to himself, and I accepted his invitation to be a follower of Christ. There's a big difference there. So we look and we see with gentleness and reverence, we are to be ready to give a defense. So in other words, you don't need to have an hour-long lecture ready to, to, to lambast somebody with when they say, why do you believe what you believe? Just simply share a simple gospel presentation, just like I pretty much did just a second ago. That's all you need to do. And share with them how it has affected you personally, why that has given you hope for eternity. So as we... Uh, as others see our belief being let, lived out and as we share the, the, the reason for our hope, our prayer is that God, through his Holy Spirit, will take what they hear, what they're seeing in our lives, and they, they will be drawn to a desire to follow Christ as Savior and Lord. Then the next one is that we must keep a good conscience. Look at verse 16. And keep a good conscience so that the thing in which you are slandered those who revile you, your good behavior in Christ, will be put to shame. If you're living for Christ, how can you be slandered? Well, somebody can always make something up. They can always accuse you of something that's not true. And even if they accuse you of something that is true because you defy the 
communal norms by following Christ and not being like the rest of the world, what's wrong with that? And what he's saying here is that keep a good conscience. In other words, live so that there is no factual evidence that can be brought against you that is ungodly. So that the things which are slandered, those who revile you because of your behavior, your good behavior in Christ, that they will be the ones put to shame. In other words, you know that you've lived for the Lord. Those who live around you, fellow brothers and sisters of Christ, know that you're living for the Lord. And basically, even the community around you know that you're living for the Lord, even if they don't believe in God. And so they will see that whoever is slandering you is making something up that is not true. And so they will be the ones to be put to shame. Now, unfortunately, in our world today, slander, falsehoods, false accusations seem to stick a little bit more than they used to, basically because there is a a community surrounding those who love to make false, false accusation that will just continue to repeat that false accusation as if it were the truth. But guess what? That's not our problem. It's God's problem. Here's what he says in verse 17. If you're going to suffer, suffer for doing what is right instead of what is wrong. For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. Now here he's basically saying, yes, there is a possibility and maybe even a probability that you will face persecution and that you may suffer for the Lord, that God will allow this to happen. If so, if you do suffer in any form or fashion, make sure that it's because you're living godly, that you're living and doing what is right in God's eyes rather than doing what is wrong. If you're going to suffer for doing wrong, well, let's see what, if you go back uh, to verse 12 where we left off last week, God pretty much gives it to us. For the eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So God is telling us, if you go face suffering or persecution, make sure you face it because you're doing what's right in God's eyes, not because you're doing, you're disobeying God. Now, here's the situation. Far too many Christians live their lives hoping that nobody ever persecutes them and the way that they figure that no one will ever persecute them is to never let anybody know that they're a Christian. Did you know that to be true? How many Christians do you know that never talk about their faith in Christ? They never talk about their family of God. They never talk about their daily devotions. They never share about what they read this morning in the scriptures. They never talk about their prayer life, of their desire to pray for you and to, to minister to you. They never talk about their faith. They've never shared their faith in their life. They've never told anybody that they belong to First Baptist Macon. They, they've never expressed their faith in Christ in any form or fashion. So guess what? They're probably not going to get persecuted because nobody knows that they're a child of God. Problem is, God doesn't know that they're a child of God because they've never experienced the true faith. They've never experienced a surrendered life. 
that's transformed them into someone who's wanted to share what is true in their heart. If you truly believe something in your heart, will the world around it know? Will the world around us know that this is what I truly believe? That's the question. Do we truly live out our faith? And that's what Peter's pretty much saying. These Christians in Asia Minor were living out their faith and they were being persecuted for it. And he's saying, I understand. It's going to happen. Here's how to deal with it. Live a godly life. Live according to God's principles, Christ's characters, characteristics. Live without doing evil for evil, insult for insult. Live with peace, love, compassion. When somebody does evil towards you, instead of doing evil back, do that which is good, that which is godly. And then he sees all these ways to respond. Respond by understanding that if and when you are persecuted, you're blessed. If and when you're persecuted, uh, you're not to worry about it because God's ultimately in control. When you are persecuted, sanctify Christ. Lift him up as being the Lord of your life. Focus on him instead of your own uh, woes and worries. Uh, be ready to give a defense of what gives you hope in your heart. Live in a good conscience so that nobody can really bring any accusations against you that are ungodly. And then, if God allows for suffering to happen, make sure that we're doing that we're being suffering, we're suffering for that which is good instead of that which is wrong or evil. So the question comes, are we really ready to share our faith, even if it costs us something in return? First century church had no qualms about it. They shared their faith no matter what the cost. Many of them died a martyr's death. Millions in the first century. Millions. I mean, the world wasn't populated like it was is now. Millions in the Roman Empire died a martyr's death simply because of their faith in Christ. They gave their lives. Of those who were not murdered or martyred, many of them lost everything they had. It was burned down, taken away, destroyed. Many of them lost family members. Many of their wives and daughters were raped. Horrible things happened. Am I saying we need to be ready for all that to happen to us? In our lifetime, it probably won't. Could. But you do know it's happening in our world today. North Korea is one of the worst offenders of Christianity. If you're found out that you're a Christian in North Korea, you're arrested and you were put into hard labor where you're probably lucky if you survive a year with the conditions that you'll be under. Uh, there's a place called Enretha. In, in, in I, I always have trouble uh, saying that name. It's a country I don't even hardly know about. It's in Africa. When they find out that you're a Christian, they arrest you and they take these metal cargo containers in Africa, and that's where they put you. And you stay in there and sit for an hour a day. That's when you stretch your legs and get fed just enough to keep you alive. Folks, this happens today in our world. 
There are Christians who are being persecuted. There are Christians who are being martyred today. So we need to pray for the, those who are facing persecution in our world today. We need to pray that they will be inspired by words like this found in uh, 1 Peter. Uh, we need to pray that if we are persecuted in any form or fashion, that we'll remember what we've read today, that we'll be ready to give an answer for our faith, for our hope, and that we'll do so with gentleness and reverence towards the Lord, but that we will live each and every day focused on Christ, knowing that God is our Father and that he is ultimately in control, and that no matter what we face, he will give us the, the peace, the strength, and the guidance to know what to do. I don't know about y'all, but I don't want to be persecuted. Do you? But it's my desire not to be persecuted so great that I would deny that I'm a child of God, that I would hide my faith in Christ. No. It shouldn't be for any true child of God. All right, let's close in prayer then. Lord, we're so thankful that Lord, we know that you're ultimately in control of our lives every second of it. Lord, whether you allow persecution to happen in our lives or, or if we uh, die without that type of persecution, Lord, we just know that we're living in your, in your grace. Lord, help us not to avoid persecution by hiding our faith. Lord, may we live with such a strong faith that if there's any risk of persecution around us, that we'll face it. Lord, help us just know that you desire us to live in such a way to draw others towards you. That's why we need to always be ready to give a defense, uh, a word of understanding of why we have such a faith in you. Or may we be found faithful in living for you regardless of the cost. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.